Everybody's got their own form of compensations, but our goal is to remove as many as many of those compensations as, as possible, so you have the best opportunity to hit the best shot that you can. You're listening to the Birdie Dad podcast. They can't make a birdie, but they can dad. And now your hosts, Jared, Brian, and Trevor. We are looking for dad jokes. Leave your best dad joke in an iTunes review. Can you be the funniest one? This week on the podcast, we are joined by professional golfer and swing technician Casey Hardy. In this episode, Casey agreed to come on the show and analyze Brian's swing. You're going to find that a lot of tips Casey provides to Brian are things you can apply to your own swings today. You can access the video of Brian's swing in the show notes. Now, let's get into this interview. Casey, we took the two hardest things in life. We took golf and parenting, and we made a podcast about it. I'm excited to have you here. You're going to break down some serious golf knowledge for us. So we're going to pick your brain on some swings and let us know what you would do. So welcome to the show. Cool. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This will be fun. We're actually going to get into Brian's swing today. So Brian, how are you feeling with that? Uh, I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like Casey's going to help me a lot. Uh, but I also feel horrible that this is out in the public now. Um, not just on a, <laughs> on a random golf course with you guys. So here we go. Yes. Let's break it down, Ryan. Let's break it down. <laughs> yeah. So Casey, start off. Tell us what's your story in golf. It's, it's pretty similar to most other people. Uh, at least players that, that have been playing for a while. Grew up playing with my dad as a kid. Um, think I had like a pitching wedge and a putter until about eighth grade. Um, didn't get my first set until then. And it was my grandma's old set. So that was, it was, it was just, I was so excited just to have like, just to have a driver, you know, I had never even hit one. Um, and by the time you get into eighth grade, I mean, you should probably have hit a driver before. Um, then I asked if I could try out for my high school team. And my dad said that he'd get me my own set if I made the team so made it got my own set and kind of floated to varsity first year so that was fun um, wait so, so i gotta ask a question you, you made the team with just a pitching wedge and your grandma's driver no so eighth eighth grade was like <laughs> the first year and then freshman year ninth grade okay that's so i had i had that set for about a year and uh nice i, I wanted my own set because it was even at the time it was super outdated equipment mm-hmm. like unbelievably outdated so <laughs> yeah uh that was nice and yeah, i played throughout high school my main focus was basketball um and yeah I, so i didn't i didn't play in a whole lot of tournaments i the majority of my tournaments were just the high school team stuff uh didn't play in, in any ajga or wjgt stuff um played a little bit of the pga sectional stuff for juniors out in new mexico and just kind of enjoyed it and then you know going into as i as i started thinking about college i i wanted to play basketball and i had a couple of stupid small offers um that honestly weren't worth anything for both basketball and golf and i decided to stay home and go to the university of new mexico here in here in our state we've got the lottery scholarship which basically allowed me to get out of school with no debt um very cool yeah, I mean, it was just a, it was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. 
it was a, a very mature decision. And I don't think it was something that I even realized had such a big impact when I made the decision. Because uh, the couple of schools that wanted me to come play, they could only give me like $800 for books. Mm-hmm. And when one semester of, of classes costs 9000 for the semester, I mean, for me, Yikes. it's like, no, thank you. Right. Whereas at UNM, I was able to get through school spending like fifteen to eighteen hundred a semester, um, and that included my books. So it was it was really good. Honestly. That's very that's very smart. Where we went to school because um, we all went to the same college, Trevor, Jared, and I. Um, I don't think I can afford to go there now. So school is expensive. So good work paying for it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> at the very least, that's awesome. Yeah, and you know, I, I do. I do wish that I had the college playing experience because it's very different from high school to college from everybody, from everybody I've had a chance to talk to. Um, you're playing much higher quality players. You're playing much better courses for the most part, and you're playing a lot more frequently and consistently. And there's just, there's a lot of benefits to that. You get to play on different types of grasses, different elevations. Um, and that's just not the kind of experience that I had. So through college, even though I was still playing and I played in some tournaments, it was it was very minimal. Um, in 2015, I played in the Albuquerque City Championship. It's an amateur event just just for Albuquerque residents. Um, I ended up taking second place at 15 under. It's a it's a three day tournament. Um, I shot one under the first day, five under the second day, and nine under the last day. Wow! So. I was four back going into the second, into the final round. The leader was uh, four ahead of me, and he ended up shooting nine under as well. So, <laughs> you know, he, he he deserved it. He earned it for sure. Uh, solid player that that played for UNM, and now he's playing professionally as well. Um, but that tournament was really kind of the turning point for me. That's really when I decided, you know, I can do this with or without the college playing experience. Mm-hmm. The skill level is there for sure. So I made the decision to turn professional in 2016, and it was an absolute nightmare. It, it just was. You know, the learning curve was uh, definitely different than I expected. You know, what was like, it? What was the one thing that you thought, I, oh, man, this is different. I've never, I've never experienced this. I remember my first tournament with the, at the time it was called the Adams Pro Tour. Now it's called the All Pro Tour. Um, my first tournament was in Garland, Texas, just outside of Dallas. And I had never been in a tournament where everybody on the range was striping it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I was used to being the best on the range. I was used to being mm-hmm. the best out there. And so when I got out there and I was like, damn, maybe I'm not the best, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe these guys <laughs> are going to kick my ass, you know, they ended up doing that. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, it was interesting. And, and, and again, playing on Bermuda, I had, I had never had that type of experience. And out in California, I don't think other than maybe like the Palm Springs area, I don't think you guys really have any Bermuda out there. No, um, very little. And the first time I played on it, it's funny you say that, it, it completely changes your game. It, it does. does, especially with your, your wedge game, mm-hmm. uh, probably like 60, 50, 60 yards and in all the way up to like two feet off the green, you know, you have to pay attention to it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then on the greens too, um, understanding that an uphill putt isn't just an uphill putt anymore. Now you've got grain. Now you've got to read 
how is the grain changing within that 10 foot space? Um, and you have to understand what that's doing to the ball. And, and I, I'll admit, I had no clue what I was doing. And yeah. Who taught you how to do that? I mean, you came from somewhat limited experience. So how did you learn? Yeah. So some of it came down to just asking, asking questions. Um, there were, there were some players out there that I in no way was going to talk to because I felt mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I would be bugging them if I asked them a question. Um, but there were plenty of guys that over time I was able to ask a couple questions after the round or during practice rounds, things like that. We'd just kind of get to talking, you know, they'd ask me, okay, how did you, how did you hit that shot from that bad area? Because I, I am decent at, at recovery shots for the most part. So, so my, my trajectory and shot shaping is, is pretty good. So someone would ask about that and I'd be like, okay, well, if you don't mind, tell me, how did you, how did you hit that chip? Because when I would, (laughs) when I would try to hit that chip, I'd lay the sod over it because the grain would just grab the club, you know? So -hmm. part of it just came down to being willing to talk to people and ask questions. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to learn. I've always been that way. And, uh, and then after that, it comes down to experience and you know, just trial and error. You got to, because someone can tell you what works for them and it may not always work for you. So, right. When you're in tournament mode, cause that, that was a new experience for you playing those multi-day tournaments, fantastic finish to put up scores like that. So what goes through your head and what's your process? So my process has actually changed a lot over time. Um, I used to just kind of get a number for the pin, maybe get a number for the front of the green and fire away right out the pin and whatever happens happens but in tournament golf sometimes you're dealing with pins that you're an idiot if you go for that pin so for example in in one of my last tournaments there was a pin that was three paces off the back and three paces off the left and the green was super narrow and just like a long like front right to back left it was super narrow but it was a long green and I didn't even look at the pin sheet I was I was you know, I was too too busy worrying about my shot that I didn't even look at the pin sheet. So that was a learning experience for me because I hit a phenomenal shot. But guess what? I ended up in the bunker short-sighted because I didn't look at the pin sheet. So a lot of my process, especially when I'm playing good golf, a lot of my process is about finding the distance that I have. What's my carry number and where on the green am I trying to put the ball? So if there's a slope, a lot of times I'm trying to use the slope. I'm not trying to avoid the slope. I'm trying to use it. Um, you see guys like Tiger doing that all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, I try to learn from things like that. And I've, I've got a long way to go in my game for sure. I'm, I'm a, I, I like to believe I'm a solid player, but, you know, I am where I am for a reason. And it's because I'm not as good as the guys on tour, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Casey, I was, watching, I was watching one of your, uh, your videos on course management. And I liked how you laid it out to, you like to play the hole backwards, right? You like to start yeah. from green where you're going to hit it back to a number in that you like, and that'll yes. kind of determine your tee shot. So I really like that. And I, I think that's a, that's a good approach. I'm going to start using that and then maybe it'll help. <laughs> yeah. I, not, I think, maybe. I think the vast majority of golfers can definitely benefit from approaching holes like that. Um, in tournaments, there are situations where <clears throat> it's just, get as close as you can to the green because ultimately if you've got players laying back to like 140 yards and you're putting yourself at 90 yards, 80 yards over a season long, I'm going to take the player at 80 to 90 yards over the player at 140 yards every time. That's just statistics. Um, 
but if I have a week where I'm really just not feeling good with my wedges, then yeah, I'll, I'll put it back somewhere to like 150, 160, where I can have like a pitching wedge or a, or, or a nine iron in and just trust it. Cause you know, I, that's kind of my bread and butter area where I know for a fact that if I'm hitting my shots, I'm going to be within 10 feet every time. Um, and then putting the ball in the hole is a different story. You know, that's, that's <laughs> still got to happen, whether you're playing an easy course or a hard course. Now you're, you're into your golf instructing and you, you've taken to your game where you've got a lot of students and you're working with them. And to pick your brain a little bit on golf knowledge, we sent you Brian's swing. And oh, boy. Brian, <laughs> Brian, what's your handicap? Can you can re- recap that for us? Yeah, I'm a 15-7, and it's probably going to be pretty obvious when you see my swing. But, um, yeah, it's coming down. So I, I think I, in this journey of the podcast, I've reviewed where I started, uh, which was shooting about 120 around, um, down to a 15-7. So um, this, this is, I don't know, this may be the best you get. Uh, from me, but um, yeah, let's we'll, we'll see what we can do. So, Casey, what did you see with Brian? What where, where would you start with this guy? First thing I would address is posture and balance points, for sure. Um, if you look at Brian's swing, there's a lot of what we call knee flexion. Okay, so just think if you're bending your knees a lot, that's knee flexion, right? If you're bending your hips a lot, that's also hip flexion. So, you've got a lot of both knee and hip flexion. What that does is it creates a situation where you're on your toes. And if you were to draw a line from the back of your armpits down to the ground in a vertical line, you'd see your armpits are at least over the tip of your toes. What I would recommend for you is let's stand straight up and down, feet roughly shoulder width apart. Everybody's pelvis is going to have a little bit of forward tilt to it. So the the front side of your pelvis is going to be a little bit lower than the backside naturally. Okay, that's okay. Keeping your pelvis relatively stable, so not not going into any kind of flexion there. Let your knees out just to the point where the joint is active, okay? What that's going to do is that's going to get your kneecaps over the balls of your feet, all right? Okay. That's it. From there, round down from the middle and upper spine. That's your thoracic spine. Okay. okay? It's going to be super, it's, it's going to feel super lazy, and for you, it's going to feel really tall. Yeah. So, you're probably going to feel like you have a hard time getting to the ball. So, what do I want you to do from there? I want you to get a little bit closer to the ball and then I want you to widen your stance ever so slightly. Okay. So if you were to put your feet all the way together and just stand straight up, that's the tallest you'll ever be, right? Yep. So, one way to get shorter is widen your stance a little bit, right? So, the reason why we want posture and balance points in kind of a non-athletic position is because we don't need to be athletic until we're hitting the ball. What happens when people set up in kind of that, I'll call it stereotypical athletic position, is they end up going into early extension as they're coming into the ball. They have a limited turn going back, and because of that, their butt ends up getting closer to the ball as they're coming through. They get taller, the hands come in higher, and they lose low point and face control at the bottom. Whereas getting kind of lazy at a dress... And getting those balance points correct gives you a much better opportunity to actually utilize a full turn, get into the ground, and hit the ball with some rotation rather than being pretty pretty solely dominant with the uh, with the arms and the hands. Interesting. Thanks. Yeah, because that athletic position to start has always been what anybody's told me to to do, and so yeah, it's that's gonna feel weird. I'm gonna try it though. <laughs> I'm gonna try try to stand taller. That's what I got to do. Try it, okay. man. It's uh, cool. it's something that I have definitely picked up from 
from my coach, George Gankis. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard of him. Um, mm-hmm. If you haven't, he's got multiple tour tour guys and a lot more guys ready to take their place at, at a moment's notice. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, he's he's one of my good friends and and definitely a mentor for me at this point. And you know, when I first saw that that kind of methodology, I thought it was an absolute joke, right? Because just like you, I was always taught, okay, let's be super athletic, yeah, athletic at right. address and stay athletic all the way through. And then I started paying attention to what George was saying and. You know, if you look at the old timers like Ben Hogan, Sam Snead, I mean, there's the list can go on. If you look at some of those guys, they look like the stereotypical like old man, right? <laughs> but they are better than anybody ever at impact. And that's why they were such good ball strikers. And ultimately, that's why they're some of the best players ever to have played. So it's, it's pretty interesting what uh, posture and balance points does for the rest of the swing. Okay, so that's it. I just need to get better at uh, posture and balance. I'm good. I'm fixed. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> it, it's not that okay. easy. It's not yeah. that easy. No. Uh, yeah. Good. We need some more stuff to get into Brian's head just to kind of to wreck him <laughs> a little bit. So if you got anything else out there, just throw it at him right now. Yeah. Well, you know, for my students, I, I usually try to s- stay with like two, maybe three things to work on at a time. Um, you know, we've all had lessons that are just super overwhelming, right? Like right. you're you're on the mat with your coach or on the range with your coach, whatever. And, you know, he's probably sitting down the whole time, not even really caring. And he's just throwing things at you every time. And anytime you actually hit the ball halfway decent, whether you put a good swing on it or not, anytime you hit the ball halfway decent, it's, oh, yeah, that right there, that's what you need to do right there, right? <laughs> I and have then no you idea hit, what I just did. <laughs> exactly. And then you take another swing still like jumbled in your head of like everything that you're supposed to be doing and you hit the ball just as like the worst you've ever hit it and all of a sudden you did something wrong. Mm -hmm. So much of that just comes down to the mental side of things. So my philosophy as a coach is is let's let's keep it simple and kind of work through chunks. And I would for pretty much anybody and everybody, the first step is understanding how you set up to the ball. Awesome. Okay, yeah, so I, so so after the, after the setup, and I'm curious, Treb, sorry to cut you off, but I'm curious, after the setup, what's the next kind of biggest thing? Next thing is understanding how to get to a good position up at the top. So that involves takeaway, that involves understanding different flexions and extensions of different body parts. So for the main the main points that you'd focus on would be how does the trail knee and the lead knee go into extension or flexion? How does the hip, how do, how do the hips work? So for you, you don't have any kind of lateral shifting in your swing. So you're not really moving off the ball. You're not moving towards the target, which is great. Most people do move at least to the target in the downswing. For you, you already do a pretty good job of staying relatively centered. So it would be about, okay, how do we use the legs going back? How do we use our spine going back to put us into a structure up at the top that removes as many compensations as we can remove. That being said, everybody, I don't care who you are, everybody has compensations in their swing. Even if you have like the most technically sound swing, which I personally don't think really exists, um, everybody's got their own form of compensations. But our goal is to remove as many, as many of those compensations as, as possible so you have the best opportunity to hit the best shot that you can. 
I've seen I've seen a lot of your teaching videos, and you use this um, kind of this waist strap that has those foam pads on both sides. Is that is yeah. that is that for like uh, like you're talking about like front and back knee extension, just kind of hip rotation? Is that is that what you're using it for? So that's that's the George Genkis G box. It's uh, it's one of his training aids that he came out with relatively recently. Um, there are numerous ways to use it. There really are. For me, what I mainly use it for is understanding how my trail arm is working. So for me as a right-handed player, my trail arm would be my right arm, okay? Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've struggled with for a long time is a right arm that, that extends a little too much in the downswing into impact. And so for me, that box is the box on the right side is really useful to keep my arm in front of the seam line on my shirt. Okay, so everybody's shirt has a seam line on the side. Some shirts may not, but you get you know exactly where the seam line is. When the trail arm starts getting back behind that seam line, you're toast. Mm-hmm. So keeping that in front is going to force you to rotate more in the back of your, in the backswing. It's okay. also going to force you to understand how to rotate efficiently and effectively in the downswing without smashing that box. So it's really like an avoidance type okay. of training mm-hmm. aid. And I'm not, I, I've never been one to use a ton of training aids because I, I never really feel like they force you to fix a problem. They almost, most training aids just kind of do it for you. And then when you remove the training aid, you can't replicate what you were just doing. Yeah. So if it's an avoidance type of drill or an avoidance type of training aid, I'm cool with it. Where do, yeah. where do most of your students need the most work? I mean, our listeners, where, what would they benefit? Is it the setup? Do you think it's more the grip or do you get more into the technical side of the swing like that? I think if I, it, honestly, honestly, where everybody could use the most work is just playing more golf. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I know that may, that may sound super cliche and, and, and kind of <laughs> dumb, but I can't tell you how many, how many times I've had a student tell me, Oh, I'm a, I'm a 12 handicap, a 15 handicap, and I want to be a scratch player. Cool. How often do you play? Twice a month? Mm-hmm. Okay, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, exactly. let, let's be real yeah. here. Good luck yeah. with that. Right. And I mean, I, I always try to think of like LeBron James, right? Like if he, if he was playing basketball at a local gym once a month, you think he's going to be super good? No. Like he'll still be good because he's been really good in the mm-hmm. past, but like his skills are going to diminish if he if he were to do that, right? And he's arguably the greatest in our time. He's the greatest to play the game. Yeah. Right. You, you know, you talk about like, you know, LeBron James. And I think of Dennis Rodman used to say, I believe it was like he wanted to grab 10,000 rebounds to establish muscle memory. So how many times are we golfing to establish that muscle memory? You know, you need 10,000 repetitions. Well, and yeah. even, even when you're on the range, you're getting that repetition, but it's not what you're going to be facing on the course, right? Like you, you, exactly. you don't have the range that's tilted, uh, 90 degrees and one, you know, and the ball's above your feet. Like it's, you got to get out there and play to get those different scenarios and get comfortable with different shots. So yeah. Yeah, you do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell my wife, I'm going to tell my wife that you told me to get out and play more. So that's, that's it. So <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. A, just to get better. That's good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's important, right? I mean, every time you go play, it's a different course. If you're playing the same course every single day, well, guess what? Every single day, it's, it is a different course. You're going to hit different shots. You're going to face different weather conditions. You're going to face all kinds of different stuff, pin positions, right? So having the ability to get that, that experience and trial and error and kind of figure out how to score 
Because ultimately, mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a lot of people on the PGA Tour that I think their swing is absolute garbage. But guess what? They know their game and they know how to score with their swing, and their their mental game is sound, mm-hmm. and and that that allows them to be as good as they are. And so that's why for me, like in 2020, I I remember when COVID first shut us down. I I posted that that COVID was going to change my life, and it did because it gave me the opportunity to actually kind of analyze my game and understand and and identify where I can improve the most. And that for me by far is in the mental side of the game. So that's when I started working with my mental coach, Jamie Glazier, out in Australia. And you know, at some point your physical skill set, once you have a, a certain physical skill set, the main differentiator differentiator um between the guys on tour and the guys on mini tours, it's mental game by far. Mm-hmm. And are, are you talking, what, what is she working with you on? Are you talking mindfulness? Are you talking um, meditation techniques? Or are you talking more in the moment in the process? Uh, a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. I'd say. So, so for me, my, um, a lot of my tournament mishaps in the past have been completely related to, I'll call it like emotional control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you, when you get into pressure situations and you're not necessarily hitting the shots that you want to hit and you've got to pay rent when you get home and you know that if you hit this shot bad right here, right now, you won't be making a paycheck that brings a lot more pressure into what you're doing. And that, and it, it kind of brings out a lot more of the, I'll call them demons that you've right. got with you. Right. Mm-hmm. So what Jamie and I have worked on is a lot of a lot of mindfulness type stuff, mm-hmm. along with um, understanding my cognitive patterns. And yeah, you know, it's, it's a it's super personalized. That's the thing mm-hmm. that I like about what he does is it's it's super personalized. It's not a a cookie cutter thing where what we talk about may be great for you or or really anybody else. I'm sure he's had similar conversations with a lot of his players. He works with guys on every level of the game. Hmm. Um, so he's phenomenal. But is that something sorry, you, you wish, is that something you wish you had at an earlier age? Maybe in 100%. In the, yeah. Hmm. The teenage youth sports. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm a huge believer that um, your upbringing, I mean, it, it just, it develops who you are. It develops mm-hmm. how you think about things. It develops how you react in different situations. It, it develops how you view yourself, right? So I think growing up, it would have been, it would have been really good to have some form of, of mental performance coach when it comes to competition because that's, that's the part where it, where it matters most. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I've made huge strides in 2020, not really doing a whole lot with my swing, but really focusing on 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 my mind and and how I'm controlling it. I love that. Can you talk to uh, your approach to a pressure shot now versus um, before? Maybe a pressure putt would be good. So, like a six foot putt you had to make before. What was your thought process? Now, how do you approach it? So before it it was very much so a uh, a general thought of I have to make this. Now it's it's way easier for me to to have a little gratitude and say, you know, this is cool for me to just be in this position. I get to make this. You know, like I I have an opportunity 
to make this. If I don't make it, that's okay. Like I, I, I can accept that now if I don't make it because that's at the end of the day, that's golf. Like we are going to lose 99.9999% of the time, right? Like if you're, if you're interested in, in winning every time you play, then you're in the wrong sport, you know? So it's, and, and I had, I had many of those situations this summer. If you look at my scores, I missed a lot of cuts by like one, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. two. And it, and it did come down to that, that shot. You know, I, I, I remember one shot, I think I was in Arkansas and I, it was on 18 and I knew for a fact I needed a birdie. I, I like, I, that was something that I knew was going to have to be there if I'm, if I was going to make the cut because I was right on that cut line and I felt like there was a lot of players behind me that were going to push that cut line down just a little bit. So I was like, okay, let's hit a good drive here. Just give us, give ourselves a chance. Guess what? I piped it right down the center in the fairway. It was the first time, even in the practice rounds and in the, in the regular round before that, it was the first time I had even hit the fairway. <laughs> um, and then I looked over at my dad and I was like, this is cool. We have a chance. Let's see if we can just do what we do hit a good shot, put it up there and let's, let's let it ride. Hit I hit a pitching wedge up there to like 12 feet, which for that pin position, I was super stoked with. Um, it, it, yeah, I, I could have sworn the putt was going to break and it didn't, but I hit a perfect putt, walked off, ended up missing it by one. But it was one of those things where like, I think prior to hitting, hitting that fairway wouldn't have been an option. Like I probably would have hit it out of bounds or something like that because I was sitting there thinking I have to hit this perfectly, you know, Right. Mm -hmm. but now it's just not like that. And in the, you know, another example, this last tournament, I double bogeyed number 17 and I knew that that was a problem because I had, I had the scoreboard on my phone. I was looking at it. (laughs) No, that's number eight, number 18 is a par five and like 70% of the hole is water and there's two fairways dumb one of the dumbest holes i think i've ever seen island green all that stuff i hit a two iron off the tee i hit a five iron layup and i was just sitting there thinking okay let's give ourselves a chance that's all we can do just give ourselves a chance i hit an eight iron up to like nine feet and i missed the putt if i had made that putt i'm in the cut you know so it's it's okay at the end of the day like it's okay there is no have to i mean the fact is I really hate this word to be honest with you, but, but being able to play golf is like, I, it is, I am privileged to be able to do that. I honestly am. So with that, I'm also grateful for it. It is, it is something that I'm extremely grateful for. And that alone has really just shifted my perspective on things to understand that like, it's not the end of the world if I miss this putt. And that gives me a chance to go into, into my next tournament with a much better mindset rather than just loads and loads and loads of pressure. Very cool. Simple reframing. One thing you said in that, that story that caught my attention was you turned to your dad. Is, is your dad been your caddy uh, for some of these tournaments? And if so, um, how is he as a caddy? Like w- what advice can you give to us as we try to caddy for our kids um, to help them on the course? Yeah. So last winter and a lot of this summer, he was my caddy and it was awesome. You know, there were, there were plenty of times when, you know, we had to have some conversations about different things that he would say that, you know, cause I'm sitting there working with Jamie trying to reframe my own mind. And then my dad, who was part of my upbringing would say something that would 
almost like trigger a, a negative thought pattern for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shut up, I, Dad. I, yeah, there were plenty of times when I'd have to talk to him about that. Um, so far, though, for me as a player, anybody who's caddied for me, it's really just about you know either carry my clubs or push them in the push cart, keep them clean, and just hang out with me. You know, I don't. If I ask for your advice as to what shot I should hit, so like if I'm faced with a situation where I can either do like the safer play and just kind of punch out or I can sling like a a 40-yard slice out there to recover, you know, if if I have a question, have an answer for me, Um, you know, give me kind of that that solidified confidence in whatever decision is made. But no, he's he's been awesome. He's he's been really good. I think any advice for parents moving forward, trying to raise their kids in the game? I think first and foremost, understand that just because you're the parent doesn't mean you know all the answers, right? So it's important to to develop a team around you, a team of people who actually know what they're doing, whether it's a, a fitness coach, a mental coach, a golf coach, and, and maybe some combination of all of those like that is going to be more beneficial in my opinion than you trying to do everything yourself for your kid. And I'm not a parent, so I, I'm, I'm sure if I, if I ever do become a parent, I will have a, a tougher time understanding that concept because I, I can imagine that every parent wants to be kind of that main answer all the time, right? I get that. Um, but if I look at a lot of the juniors that I've had any type of experience with, even if it's just out at Westlake Village with George watching him teach them, it's it's really beneficial for the parent to just take a back seat for a second. You know, let somebody else have that positive influence on that on that growth for that kid. Let that kid gain some confidence talking to somebody other than their parents. Yeah, you know, I think that's I I don't know. Maybe I'm completely off base with that stuff, but that's no, I think you're right on. I think yeah. you got it right on. We've heard some similar thoughts from some of our past guests on that exact same thing. Yeah, I I, I have a story. I was you know, there's another junior. My I have two daughters, seven and nine year old, and my oldest daughter you know likes playing, so she's been in a few tournaments. And there's a local girl that went, that goes to her school. It's a few years ahead of her, and she's um, she's a really good golfer, and her dad's. I, I work with him. We're in the medical professional. So I've talked to him from time to time and had a conversation. I was like, Hey, you know, like, what are you, what are you doing with your daughter? You know, just kind of shooting it. And he's like, you know, I, the biggest thing is I just step away. Right. My first, my first instinct is to like, go help her and do everything I can. But you know, like I'm, he's a cardiologist. So he's like, I just had to think like, I don't want my golf professional writing cardiology meds for my daughter. Right. So why the hell would I want to coach up, you know, my daughter's swing and, <laughs> and ruin it for her. So I, I thought that was a great perspective and I try to take that on as much as I can. But I think a lot of us as parents, we just, um, you know, are with our kids all the time and we, we try to give everything we can for them, but sometimes, yeah. you know, we're limited by time or money. And so we end up kind of trying to take on all those roles, but it's, you're like you said, it's as much as we can kind of bring on other, a team approach. I think it's very helpful. Yeah. Hey, Casey. Um, so, I mean, you've, you dropped some great knowledge for us today. You broke down Brian's swing. You gave us some good tips. Where can our listeners find you for more information? Yeah. So you can find me on, on Instagram. It's uh, just Casey Hardy Golf. That's C-A-S-E-Y-H-A-R-T-Y Golf. Um, that's my main platform. I am in the process of developing a website. I will be linking that to, uh, to Instagram. You can also find me on YouTube. Casey Hardy Golf. Um, that's about it. 
I run all nice. my lessons directly through Instagram. So if anybody's interested, just send me a message and we'll get it going. Nice. Absolutely. I'm definitely going to be following up, Casey. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I don't think those uh, those tips stop there. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah thanks, Casey. Uh, we appreciate you coming on the show, and um, we we love the tips. We love the drills, and hopefully, some some golfers get better from this. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Hey, listeners. Casey is ready to help your swings. He was super easy to get in touch with. He was responsive, and he gave us even more golf tips when we weren't recording. Reach out to him today at Casey Hardy Golf to find out what he can do for your swing. You just listen for free. Now here's the deal. Go to our website at birdiedads.com and join us. You will get our golf starter's guide and our golf coloring book for kids free right now by signing up. It just takes an email. Thanks for hanging out with us and we'll see you next time.